listening to the mental health download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Addie McCasland. Today we're here talking with Claudia Black. Claudia will be a keynote at this year's virtual Zero Mental Health Symposium. The event will take place September 28th through 30th, and the theme is Exploring Family Constructs. Learn more at www.zerosymposium.org. We'd like to thank some of our sponsors, the Anne and Henry Zero Foundation, Maxine and Zach Zero Foundation, and the George Kaiser Foundation for their generous continued support of the symposium. Claudia Black is the clinical architect and actively involved in the Claudia Black Young Adult Center at the Meadows. She serves as a senior fellow and has been at a clinical consultant at the Meadows Treatment Center in Arizona since 1998. Claudia Black's seminal work with children impacted by substance abuse in the late 1970s created the foundation for the adult child movement. Today, Claudia is a renowned author and trainer internationally recognized for her pioneering and contemporary work with family systems and addictive disorders. We asked Selena Stockley, Chief Administration Officer for Mental Health Association Oklahoma to interview Claudia. Let's hear their conversation. The mental health download starts now. Claudia, it's so good to see you today. I have a couple of questions for you. Thank so, you, Selena. Can you share about your career and how you got involved in working with youth, families, and addiction disorders? First of all, let me say I love my career. I've been at this for 40 plus years, and it's just an honor to be able to be a part of people's lives in a way that's so transformational. And I didn't plan this. I actually started my career working with very angry girls who were in residential treatment. It was their anger that got them into residential treatment. And even that, you know, for me, I grew up in a violent home. I grew up in an alcoholic home and anger was something that was just squelched out of me. And I was attracted to the anger that I saw in these young, these young girls because I felt they were closer to the truth and they probably had less denial about what was going on. So I began my work in residential treatment, doing a lot of group work. It was back in the seventies. We even had a model which we incorporated a lot of family work. I went on to graduate school, assuming that I would continue to work with an adolescent age group. And it was in graduate school that I was fortunate enough that they actually had taught a class on addiction. And back then we called it alcoholism, not even chemical dependency. That phrase hadn't come into being yet. And it was in that class for the first time in my life, I understood what I was raised with. And all it took was an understanding of blackouts and personality changes. And that would begin my own personal journey into my own recovery process. And when I got out of graduate school, I had no intention of going into the addictions field. But what I did want was residential work. And I wanted group work. And I wanted the opportunity to work with families. And there were two places you could find that at that time. Mm -hmm. One was the beginning of alcohol treatment programs. Mm -hmm. and then back with working with teenagers and somebody told me about this alcohol treatment program and I could have all those opportunities like group work family etc and mm -hmm. so I invited myself in for an interview when they did not have a job I convinced them that they needed me they gave me a part-time job and I had no idea what I was doing absolutely no idea whatsoever but in that work I did get a full-time job and 
and part of their hiring me for a full-time position is they needed a social worker and I had that degree. They needed family work. And I thought families meant kids. Well, back in those days, all they really wanted me to do was to work with the partners, to work with the spouses. But they didn't say that. I was so young. I had just not learned to ask questions. So what I did is I invited all the kids in. And I had very young children. I had adolescent age children. But a lot of people who came to treatment back then were of an age, and it's still true today, but even more so than they didn't even come to treatment until they were of an age, their kids were adults. Mm -hmm. Common sense said to me that if they have lived with addiction for this number of years, they need to be here. And so suddenly in front of me, I had all these different age groups of children. I had the partners and I had the addicted person. And I actually could see the emotional progression being raised in an addictive home in terms of the problems these people would have as adults with depression, anxiety, various forms of self-harm. I could see the repetition with them getting into addictive relationships themselves. And I could see what alcohol and drugs could do for them that it did not have to do for somebody else. And that was really my foray into this very wonderful long career. Yes. And what a fabulous career you have had. It has so, been. Tell me a little bit, you know, what is unique about working with youth and addiction compared to working with adults? Well, it depends on what age of youth. Right now I'm doing a lot of work with that 18 to 26 year old. And that's a, a different age group than even your adolescence. I think that with, with young people, they have the opportunity. It's such a wonderful opportunity to change their life sort of midstream of the difficulties they're having without the consequences of failed marriages, without the consequences of poor parenting, mm -hmm. without the consequences of disrupting career. And for those that are able to respond to the resources that hopefully can be out there for them, they recognize that I think when it comes to their being addicted, there is that part of them that, you know, how can I give up my using at 16, 17, and 20 years of age or all of my using because there's no life after that? I mean, somehow, you know, I think media does unfortunately a very good job of portraying that's what gives you happiness. That's what gives you a connection with other people, et cetera. And I think that a part of our working with young people is for them to recognize that they can have a happy life. They can have connection to their peers. They can have even more than what they ever thought possible if they, if they can find that path to their own recovery. I think one of the challenges with uh, young people is that because they haven't had such severe consequences oftentimes, even though they are, can be quite severe, but not as severe maybe as that 35, 40 year old, I see them coming in with alcohol and drug problems and they're willing to give up. They're gonna pick and choose which drug they're gonna give up. Right. And they certainly don't wanna give up their cannabis. I mean, that's the one they really wanna hang on to right. uh, unless cannabis is their sole problem. But usually it's gonna be a mix of so many other drugs. I think that the vulnerability, they're less, they truly are, um, the vulnerability is, is more available to them um, mm -hmm. as adolescents. Um, mm -hmm. I'm still speaking, their defenses aren't as rigid, they're not as hardened, as angry as they might be, but underneath everybody's anger is usually a lot of fear and a lot of pain. And it's our job to try and really speak to that fear and that pain. I think that 
the hard part oftentimes working with adolescents is is the family how motivated are they to create change within the family system i might get a young person who's very motivated but i have a family system that's so entrenched in the dysfunction and that gets really difficult if that young person is still needing to live within that family yeah yeah with that transitional adult group, some of the problems we run into that is, you know, they, they have the rights of adulthood, but they think right. like a 12, 13 year old and emotionally they still need their parents, if not financially still needing their parents. So that complicates situations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So true, that's so true. What if anything needs to change in the way that mental health profession and the broader community understands and treats addiction as it relates to young adults, youth, and families? What does the mental health community need to understand in terms of addiction as it relates? First of all, I think that addiction is probably the number one cause of dysfunction in families today. I agree. And I think that one needs to, in essence, rule it out versus rule it in, meaning you always need to assess for it somewhere within that system. Mm -hmm. And that I think the other thing that they need to understand is that what you see within that system is going to be a lot of comorbidity and a lot of co-occurring disorders. So when I look at that addictive family system, I'm going to see depression. I'm going to see various forms of self-harm. I'm going to see the anxiety. I'm going to see the really disruptive relationships. And, and that's a part of the whole addictive system and that we cannot operate without each other. I think that my hope is that the mental health communities are going to be able to incorporate some of the gifts of the addiction treatment field. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of those gifts is that for family members, for youth, for adults, that there's a spiritual component typically somewhere in this recovery process. And we don't see as much of that within the community mental health field. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I'm so impacted by for recovery is that so much of recovery is about being able to let go of the shame, mm -hmm. the self-loathing, the despair that people carry within themselves. And that all of these people in the context of who's affected by addiction heal in community. And whatever we can do to help them find a sense of community is gonna be significant for them in their healing process. Yeah, yeah. You touched on this briefly and earlier, but I wanted to ask you, so what role does the family play in supporting young people with an addiction disorder? I mean. Mm -hmm. Well, the family is absolutely critical, absolutely critical. I cannot tell you, working with young people when they had me 12, 13, up to 25, 26 years of age, more than anything, they want to know that they're still loved in spite of their so-called bad behavior. More than anything, they want that acceptance on the part of their parents. I think, unfortunately, what it does mean that gets in the way is it means parents many times need to do their own work. 
-hmm. What I mean by their own work, they're, they're going to be challenged, many of them, to take a look at their own drinking and using practice. They're going to be challenged to take a look at the role maybe their depression is playing in terms of impacting that family system. They're going to be challenged in terms of any other addictions that could be going on. They're going to be challenged in terms of what their own codependency is about and their own enmeshment is about. And what I mean by that is where I see, I see the enmeshment a little bit more with female parents connected mm -hmm. to kids and that they fuse really in their identity. And in doing that, they're getting so many of their needs met through their children and we need to be able to separate that out. So kids have their own autonomy and so this adult has their own autonomy and that gets really hard. I think that they do so much enabling and, and enabling is not allowing the person who's addicted to feel the consequences of their own behavior or not allowing their bad behavior to feel the, to feel the consequences, be it maybe lying behavior. It doesn't have to even be addiction. And so we don't hold our kids accountable and holding our kids accountable often means saying no. It means setting limits. It means following through with consequences and People many times, often due to their own family history, due to their own codependency, they don't want to say no. They don't want to risk an argument. They don't want to risk rejection by my kids. And that means taking a look at where does that come from? Because your kids need structure. Your kids need limit setting. Your kids need follow through with consequences. And your kids need the Al-Anon practice of what we call tough love. And if you aren't able to do that, there's usually some underlying issues that have to do with, as I say, your own fear of conflict, your own need for approval, your own fear of rejection. So that's the work that that parent may have to do. Right. So I think that one of the biggest problems with families is that willingness not to make somebody the, somebody else the identified patient, just right. one person in that family. And it isn't. I always say the family is the client. The 16-year-old isn't the client or the 40-year-old I'm working with isn't the client. The whole family is the client and they are a part of that. Absolutely. Could not agree more. So a little bit, you know, changing topic, just what would be one piece of advice that you could give to families right now in this time of world distress and, and, and turmoil? What type of advice would you give to families right now? Well. I think that people, uh, I'd say, it's, you need to ask for help. You mm -hmm. cannot do this by yourself. Isolation will only continue to fuel the problems. Mm -hmm. There are people who understand. There are people out there that will not judge you. We are not here to judge you. We are here to help. If there's reasons for what it is that's going on. We will understand those reasons. And it's not because there's something inherently wrong with who you are. And we are here you know, to help you make those changes. And so I think, and that help can come from a variety of sources. I think many times that help will come through self-help groups. Oftentimes those are going to be 12 step based groups that are very prevalent anywhere in your community or wherever your community is, you're going to be able to find them. You can find them on, on Zooms today and virtually today. And those resources are in your community mental health centers and in your identified addiction treatment programs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Claudia. I have this one last question, I guess, for you is, can you give us an, a sample of what you'll be touching on at the symposium during your keynote? 
Yes, I'm, I'm thrilled to come and I, I act as if I'm literally coming there and I'm, I'm not, I'm gonna, it's gonna be virtual, but I'm thrilled to be back in Oklahoma. It's been a, a long period of time for me. I'm gonna be talking about what I call trauma in the context of the family affected by substance use disorders. I'll talk about what happens biologically within us where we move into what we call a fight, flight or freeze response. I'm gonna talk about traumas, specifically the phenomena of emotional abandonment. Mm -hmm. I will talk about the complex loss and grief that often takes place in these families. I'll talk about the bullying that often takes place, the witnessing of abuse, and then I'll talk about more blatant abuses. Maybe equally as important, I'm gonna talk about some steps to recovery. And um, and I will talk very about realistic goals for the practitioner in terms of working with this family system. And I will also attempt to separate that out a bit in terms of what age group people are working with. Mm -hmm. I only have a fairly brief period of time at the conference, but on some level, I will speak to all of those issues. Well, I can tell you on behalf of everyone here at the Mental Health Association of Oklahoma, we are honored. We are so excited to hear you speak. You will touch so many lives and we just cannot wait for the symposium to begin so we can have you be one of our keynote speakers. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. And I'll see everybody in September. Yes. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Mental Health Download. I'm Addie McCaslin with Mental Health Association of Oklahoma.